0: In the future okay um I was trying to think uh, so first of all first of all I have to say um, RJ was kind of vague about what this was so I was like can I put together talking points should I organize a speech he said no it's organic and that you guys would get that and so and and I trust that given that you are the the cream of the crop in the Mahoning Valley that that you can make sense of whatever's about to happen. So, um, but I have to say, now, you guys are all in high school. Is that right? Uh, my Youngstown story actually starts in high school. Uh, and you're maybe thinking, well, that must mean because you're from Youngstown. No, actually, my, my Youngstown story starts in high school because I grew up in central Texas. I grew up in a town called Brownwood, Texas, which claims to be the heart of Texas. So if you saw a map of Texas and you put your finger in what was roughly the middle, you're pretty close to where I went to high school. And um, my story starts there because Brownwood is a city that, um, when I was in high school, uh, was still kind of drafting on its glory days. Back in the 70s and 80s, Brownwood High School had the best high school football team in the state of Texas, which is not a small claim, right? But their football team hadn't been good for over a decade, probably 20 years. But they still kind of had these illusions of grandeur. And so football was everything in high school. And for somebody like me, who I know it's gonna be shocking to hear, was not a cheerleader, um, that meant that my experiences in high school were kind of limited because a lot of our funding went to football and anything related to football. And I, I see a few nods, so maybe you can relate to that. I know I know football is big in some of our area schools and it means that other programs don't necessarily get a lot of funding. So I took theater and art for four years in high school. And I didn't ever really get to act because I was so good at building sets. And I was kind of shy back then, believe it or not. I, uh, it was not so much that I was shy around people, but standing up on stage just seemed overwhelming. So I would get these small parts, but then I would build amazing sets and come up with really cool props and costumes and things. So my senior year, when um, I had like two lines in the final play, I, I kind of quit theater halfway through the year and I doubled up on art. And my art class was horrible. It was so bad. My art teacher um, at that time would, uh, she would give us a vague assignment, pass out supplies, and then she would go in her office and she would read romance novels and sometimes smoke cigarettes. Um, you weren't supposed to do that, but uh, you could smoke in the teacher's lounge back then, which was kind of still, it was really dated. Most schools at that point had eliminated smoking, they were non smoking campuses, but our school still let teachers smoke in the teacher's lounge because we were kind of old school. Anyway, it wasn't a great experience. I, ca- I left high school thinking, wow, um, I, what did I even learn? And I went to college, and I met all these people who had portfolios and had all these cool experiences, and had gone to like big city schools, and and I, I had to work really hard in college. And I went to college in my hometown, and it was a small school, uh, much smaller than YSU, but it's a similar thing. Like if you go to YSU, um, you probably have heard people talk about, oh, I'm not going to go to YSU. I'm going to go away for college, and. So there's a little bit of a stigma. If you go to the college where you went to high school, right? Um, But I did, and I actually got a really good education because all of my classes were taught by professors. I never had a grad student teach a class once. Not even one time did a grad student teach my class. They were all um, professors who were highly trained in their field, and um, as a result, I, you know, I had a lot of small classes and I got a lot of good information. And it actually ended up being a blessing in disguise. So even though I went to school at home, I, uh, I, ha- I had a lot of opportunity to sort of make up what I, what I was lacking from my high school experience. But I still was in my hometown. And the goal is, when you are young, is to get out, right? How many of you feel like that might, you have that urge, you're yearning to go somewhere else, like see the rest of the world? That's good, that's normal. In fact, I would say to everybody in here, if you love Youngstown, or you love your town, if you love the Mahoning Valley, if you love this area, the best thing you can do is go away for a little bit. Go away, and if you really wanna live here forever, come back, because the most interesting people I meet here are people who spent some time away and chose to come back, and in a way, I'm like, Uh, I'm sort of like coming home and let me say a little bit more about that Um, Brownwood where I grew up is slightly smaller than Youngstown but it's a very similar demographic a lot of the adults in that town haven't attended college a lot of them have worked in industrial manufacturing we have a large 3m factory there and a large Kohler factory so lots and lots of people in my hometown made toilets so if you feel like people in this area have low self-esteem imagine if lots of the adults in your community made toilets for a living that's where I grew up. And so the, the morale was kind of low, right? Uh, but in general, I, I saw a few people who would move to our town who weren't from there. And they would say the weirdest things about Brownwood. They would say, this is such a great place to live. And we had a lot of people who would retire from um, cities around the US to my hometown. I'm like, why are they coming here? This place sucks. <coughs> and you may have heard things like this about your hometown too. Uh, you may have even thought them at times but here's the interesting thing the one thing I learned about growing up in Brownwood and then moving away and then moving on purpose to a town like Brownwood only frankly I would say like Youngstown is better honestly uh, because a it's bigger it's a beautifully designed town um, and it has a lot of assets that um, if you're not from here you might find surprisingly exciting um, so there's a lot of things here that I've never had in any of the places I've lived a little I've lived a lot of places around the US so um, but I chose to come here and I chose to come here partly because uh, I can relate to the experiences of people who grew up here I understand to some extent where you're coming from that weird tension of simultaneously feeling a little embarrassed of your town but also feeling like super loyal that is my experience, and I still have a lot of friends I grew up with in Central Texas who will say, like, this place is the pits. It's awful. Well, they'll say other things, but I won't say those things, okay? And then if somebody from somewhere else comes to our town and says, wow, this place really is awful, they will say, I'll fight you. This place is awesome. and I. Th- and I think that's what I loved about growing up there, I have to say, the fact that we could be frustrated, but we could also be fiercely loyal, and we could, and it, and it had everything to do with the people, and that's what I realized. So, what's the point of all this? I, well, I, I'm, my advisor in grad school used to say, well, I told you that story, so I could tell you this story. So I'm gonna use this trick. Um, so I, I tell you all that because what I really wanna say is, my Youngstown story is not about Youngstown, per se. It's about how you look at the world. And one of the things I learned from growing up in Brownwood and living in Pennsylvania and Florida and traveling all over the United States and and now choosing Ohio is that you and your town are not just about the sort of number of people in it or who specifically is in it or what that town even looks like, it's an organic, constantly changing thing so this area is a completely different place than it was ten years ago and if you look at that objectively and you say like what are the things that have changed we can we can agree right but if you think about it in terms of sort of the way we assemble facts and history in our brain we tend to be thinking of all of it simultaneously And that's the thing that finally made sense to me about my hometown. Why was it such that people could hate it and love it at the same time? That's a weird thing, right? To love and hate something equally simultaneously. And it's because so much of the way that we situate ourselves is related to just one component and that's history. And it's looking at an accrual of experiences. But the reason I can choose Youngstown and move here and love Youngstown differently than maybe you guys would love Youngstown because I didn't grow up here is that I come here and I see what's here now and I hear about this city and I see this city through a different lens. I can relate to it because I grew up in a place like it, but I don't have a specific history that colors my view. So and and who you are as an adult, that's the same thing. Uh, it, it's true of a city it's true of a person and I think when we look at a city and we, we think of a city just in terms of its history and in its mythology I, I, I very often talk about a mythology of Youngstown this idea that you know and you've heard stories right where something kind of like balloons and like oh my gosh this happened and then this happened and oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh and it's almost like a modern-day myth right there's a certain mythology to each town And I think we have to kind of consciously think about what that means for our lived experience and also what it might mean for you as a person. So you're in high school, and I'm not asking you to rat yourself out, but I guarantee that everybody in this room at some point has experienced mythology in high school about a person. And it turns out that somebody said something about somebody and it's scandalous, right? It might be like super gross. It might be super inappropriate. They might've gotten in trouble. But, it's, but it becomes this thing, this myth, and it suddenly becomes who they are. And it suddenly is like sort of what we immediately think of when we think of that person. Somebody who kind of stands outside of the social norms or somebody who's done something great. It doesn't matter if it's awful or awesome. Suddenly that person's identity is about the mythology. And what I want us to really think about is living in the present and living in the future. and. Um, and how we kind of combat that mythology and and sort of rationally look at this notion of what constitutes assets. Now, assets in sort of the free market world often means stuff like, stuff you could sell, right? When I say, like, what are your assets? You're like, well, you know, have like, um, I have some furniture in my room I could sell. I have like, I have a pretty nice bike. Uh... But when we talk about assets in a community it's something a little different Um, assets in a community aren't always things that you could sell or trade they aren't always things that are commodity they are um, they're complex things and they change a lot so the assets that Youngstown has now are very different than the assets that Youngstown had in 1960 and that's a that's a big thing that people talk about but I don't think we live in that present sometimes I think very often we kind of find ourselves um, trapped in the past or sort of distracted by shiny objects. Um, And (coughs) so my Youngstown story really is about the long answer to what I am often asked. I have people from here who look at me and they look, they kind of try to look deeply, like look into your soul. um, And they say, why did you come here? The long answer is because of assets and not because of mythology. I came here because Youngstown has so much to offer and the short answer is I drove um, four hours a day, three to four hours a day in traffic to work at a really prestigious job in Dallas at one point in life when I lived in Texas. And I hate traffic. And the cool thing about living in Youngstown is, it's a well-designed city. Our city planners, years ago, um, designed this city for a lot more people. So it means there's never any traffic. And you can get anywhere from any point in this town to any suburb in 20 to 30 minutes, right? That's kind of the running joke that we say, oh, it takes 20 minutes. And that's usually pretty true. If you map it, it's like 15, 15 to 30 minutes to go anywhere. And I think like that's a, that's a major asset. For those of you who ever have to drive in traffic, if you go somewhere else, move to New York. Spend a couple years in New York. I guarantee you, after two years of New York traffic, you'll want to be back in Youngstown. Um, and not just because traffic is awful, but because Youngstown is awesome. And we have an amazing group of assets. So um, I think that's probably it. In terms of the future though, you asked what you know, like what's my My vision for the future has everything to do with kind of living in the present. Um, I think that if we are aware of the assets and we work to kind of focus on what those assets are and how we can kind of encourage people to develop assets, whether that's a community group that's making a difference, whether that's a small organization that's planting trees, it's a group of Boy Scouts who take on a project, who want to build some things or repair some things in our local parks if it's a group of environmental people who are trying to deal with long-term industrial pollution, or if it's a group of young people who are just trying to create a social network for each other. Whatever it is, um, focusing on what's happening now and, and putting aside the mythology and putting aside our predisposed notions of what somebody might be like because of where they grew up. I hear a lot of really funny Mythology that relates to well, you know, they're just they're just from Austintown and they moved to Boardman and they think they're hot stuff now <laughs> I, I mean have you heard this right like <laughs> No, it's is, is it just me? Okay. Anyway, I've heard these kinds of things and I think that's the kind of mythology I'm talking about. I don't care where you came from and that's not to say it doesn't matter but it doesn't mean that I'm going that I would tell you you can't participate in something I'm doing in terms of a community initiative on the direct level um, what my sort of involvement is in the future of Youngstown is thinking about meaningful ways to support the arts here and to help Youngstown do a little bit of what Pittsburgh has done and that's to transition from a 20th century industrial city to a 21st century 21st century post-industrial tech city we have a lot of um, we have a lot of potential for this place to become a magnet for um, high-tech industry and also for the arts and for creative industries and there's lots and lots of evidence to show that encouraging artists and providing opportunities for artists can singly and with no other outside influence completely transform a community and we've got lots of examples of that around the nation and i think that youngstown has a lot of raw talent there are a lot of amazing people here including in this room i mean you guys are awesome and you're ultimately the future of northeast ohio So what if I told you that we could give you uh, funding to start whatever your idea is? If you have some idea and you think, like, I want to open a shop that does blank or I want to do this public art project, and I said, okay, here's some money. Would that make a difference? Probably. It's enough to kind of get you out there and get you visible. And so my interest is in working with RJ and other community members to try to figure out ways to provide opportunities that help build on our current assets because we've got a lot we have a lot of cool things going on here that's about it <laughs> okay. uh questions you have like 100 questions for jamal can you talk a little bit about art education and what you're doing here in the like you've seen a lot of the schools and yeah things like that yeah, how many of you have taken? Minutes. How many of you have taken an art class, in school? Yeah, so somebody has to somebody has to teach your teacher how to do what they do, and art education has changed a lot over the years. Uh, it, it is a constantly transforming field, like any other specialized field, right? Uh, thankfully, medicine follows the same model, right? We don't practice uh, medicine the same way we did in 1980. So we probably shouldn't practice art education the same way we did in 1980, right? We have to kind of keep transforming. So some of what I'm interested in, in terms of art education, is helping teachers be responsive to social issues, and to look at teaching art from a standpoint that isn't just a formula. So it's not just about following steps. Uh, How many of you have heard that cliche phrase, think outside the box? Yeah, what does that mean to you? Anything? I mean, you hear it so much these days. Yeah. Don't do what else is doing. Yeah, don't do but is that an easy thing to do in K12? Do you find it do you find a lot of opportunities in high school to mm-hmm. go off script? Yeah. yeah, that's cool. I know some high schools um provide more opportunities than others in terms of that. Yes. Do you ever wonder, that's an interesting question yeah so i'm going to try to restate your question and make sure i understand it so you're asking how do you think outside the box when your box is your who you who you sort of define yourself to be Mm -hmm. and what's the second part of it um and you know that you like you really can't change that and so how Yeah, that's a great question. Um, that I, You know, I think there are some core things about who we are that form our identity, that remain stable to some extent throughout your lifetime. But there are also things that can be influenced by outside experiences. And one of the reasons I like visual art is that it sometimes provides a very slight you know, kind of opens the lid to the box. Maybe you don't get all the way out of the box, but you can at least peek outside of that box, see other perspectives. Um, the way that I think about teaching and curriculum has a lot to do with um, research and whether that's getting out and studying a thing, like looking at a plant in the field, or talking to a person, or reading about an artist but really digging into other experiences and kind of digging into other ways of knowing and pushing yourself. Um, There's an educational philosopher named Lev Vygotsky. He's long dead. But Vygotsky came up with this term called zone of proximal development, that if you're a good educator, what you do is you push people to achieve something that's just out of reach. And sometimes what's just out of reach is another way of knowing, and it's, it's about sort of pushing yourself outside of what narrowly defines you or broadly defines you in terms of identity. It's about kind of trying to walk a mile in another man's shoes or various other sort of phrases that we talk about. But ultimately, it's about trying to kind of gain other ways of knowing and maybe gain other experiences. I mean, one of the things about getting out into the community uh, as an artist is that you are physically in another place that's not necessarily your home base, and that you are talking to people that you might not talk to otherwise. And that, particularly for community arts, um, I think is it's crucial. And that that can even be something as simple as going to a gallery and meeting a living artist, talking to another artist about why they do what they do, and it's a step in that direction to kind of build knowledge. You have a follow-up question? Yeah i don't know. i i can show you my instagram i do a lot of a lot of my work is um is interactive so and it's, it tends to be insulation so i like to build things that people have to get inside and do something with so they're not really easy to carry around um, but i can describe a couple examples to you there are recent works that i made i made a blanket fort that you have to get on the floor and crawl into. Once you get inside there, there's a beanbag chair and a TV, and it's playing a movie of different people telling funny stories about me and my family. And all of our family members are telling funny stories. And the name of the artwork is called the Inside Joke Project. And some of the the stories are funny, even if you don't know us, because some things are universally funny, and some of the things don't make any sense, and they're not funny, and they're kind of uncomfortable and I was really interested in this idea of number one breaking down barriers of how we interact with art in a gallery and number two kind of giving you the opportunity and the space to think about what what funny is like what does that mean sometimes funny is is culturally specific sometimes there's lots of there's inside jokes where like, you only have, you, like, only a few people know. You might have, like, a catchphrase or a single word that is really funny because it means something specific to a certain experience. And so it's kind of trying to play around with that. So you have to crawl on the floor, which is funny, kind of, in a way. You have to crawl on the floor, get in there, and then you can watch it. And you never know which stories you're going to watch. The whole DVD is 55 minutes long. Nobody stayed the whole time that I know of. So, yeah it's all packed up in my house and another I mean I have another piece that's similar to that um, and it's just it's an untitled piece and it's a wooden box that's about that tall it's big enough for two people to crawl inside and you and I have binoculars in there and the idea is that I can set it up in anybody's museum or anybody's gallery and you could spy on the art I thought it was a funny idea because I noticed when I worked in art museums that um, people seemed like they might have things they wanted to say about art or they might have questions, but who are you going to ask because you're just in this big open room and it's kind of awkward. So I thought, wouldn't it be funny if I made a tiny little like duck blind kind of looking thing? It kind of looks like a duck blind or a confessional booth or a little of both. For those of you who have a background in, in Catholicism, it's got elements of kind of both that has a little viewing window but it also has this fancy curtain I sewed on the back that you go into and I sit in there that so in the installation I just sit inside there with my binoculars and wait for people to come in and sometimes people don't know I'm in there so I'll just go psst hey psst, hey you and you know exactly yeah so it's and so we kind of I'm like what do you what do you really think about this artwork so I get somebody to come in there and I'm like what's your what's your favorite one Does any of this, you know, is any of this artwork like not make any sense to you? And I mean, sometimes I think with contemporary art, we're afraid to say like, I don't get it. How many of you have ever looked at a contemporary artwork and and thought like, I don't understand what that's about. I'll even go the next step. I hear people say very often of the work of people like Jackson Pollock, like, I feel like he's playing a joke on me. Is this this actually artwork? Have you ever looked at artwork and said, I think the artist is playing a joke on me. Yeah, so I kind of thought, like, so I've taken that idea, like, the idea that art could kind of be excluding you at your own expense, like, you're the only one that's not in on it, the joke's on you, and I instead, like, I want to invite people in so that they can be part of the joke and that we can kind of say what we want to say about art and have conversations that might be more relevant to our lived experiences, but also to kind of have a little crack in the box, right? To peek out and to maybe think about other ways of knowing in a way that is safe and comfortable, that's not awkward and isn't about performing in a museum experience. So yeah, so I wish I could show you more stuff. And then my my Instagram is more of a, it's a a photo diary. So I don't use my Instagram as a lifestyle blog, and I don't only take pictures of cool stuff. In fact, I don't do a lot of cool stuff. I'm a pretty basic person. not to the extent that I live on Starbucks, but to the extent that I, I'm no frills. I, I have three kids, and I I spend a lot of time walking. Um, I spend a lot of time gardening. I spend a lot of time talking to people, and I spend a lot of time um, cooking. And so, sort of, it's a random, weird mix of all of those things. And it's just sort of a little. It's a it's a little view of what my life is. I take pictures of my youngest child sleeping too it's like I have a series of pictures of him taking naps you later. I know I don't take I don't take awkward pictures of him but just while he's asleep none that are particularly embarrassing but I get what you're saying yeah and maybe later I'll delete him from my Instagram that's a good point any other questions yeah more questions what do you cool think about Andy what do I think about Andy Warhol um I like his spunk. <coughs> I think I think Andy Warhol. Um, I think Andy Warhol kind of had his. He was sort of the first artist to kind of look at the seriousness and the and the sort of the the, the mythology of art, and and to say that isn't really what society's about anymore. We're really kind of about consumer products. And he started out as a graphic designer. He was a really talented designer. Um, and then he kind of took his knowledge base and transferred it into the fine art world and he did it in a way that was really clever and he's one of the first artists to utilize openly a lot of assistance and a lot, and kind of had this sort of empire. He, been, he even kind of promoted the band The Velvet Underground so I think he's an interesting guy because he works across a lot of disciplines and he really challenges that line of fine art. He's the first guy that makes us have to acknowledged something like institutional aesthetics. And institutional aesthetics says that no matter what you think about an artwork, it is officially art when and if it's in a museum. And because he could get that, those screen printed reproductions of Brillo boxes exhibited in a museum, he was able to make that case. So I think he moves the conversation about art forward. Whether or not I like his art, I like the way it looks. If you offered me an Andy Warhol artwork to hang in my house, yeah, I would totally hang in my house. But I, but it's as much about the man, the myth, or the legend, and the fact that he challenges mythology that I like. I mean, I like that he totally, like, dressed in costume every day, too. I, I love the idea that, like, you create a persona, and I think he's also one of the first sort of contemporary artists or modern artists that... Well, he's contemporary, right? Because he's pop. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, he's one of the first contemporary artists that kind of has this whole, like... I'm a completely different person as an artist persona and we have so many people since then who have picked up like costuming and wigs and makeup and he's as much a performance artist as Lady Gaga. Anyway. She's taken her cues from him. I think so. Yeah, I think that I think Lady Gaga has definitely like learned some things from Andy Warhol. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Any other questions, folks? Yeah. One more. What would be to like move forward in life and everything with their art and stuff. That's a great question. Yeah, thanks. Um kind of what I said, which is if you, I mean, whether or not it, it has to do with where you want to live or what you want to do with your life, get out in the world. It's scary. It's hard. The first time you move away from home, it's so overwhelming. It's like it 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 gets you right in the gut. Like it feels like feels like some part of you is being left behind. But after I made my first major move, it, it was so life-changing and positive. And, and it gave me such a new insight into other ways of knowing the world. And it gave me an, an opportunity to step back. It's almost like you get to see yourself in third person because all these people are meeting you for the first time. Everybody you meet is a new person. And you start to learn things about yourself that you can't learn if you never go anywhere. And I think particularly as an artist, we're asked to kind of be empathetic, intuitive, responsive to what's going on in society, and it's hard to do those things when you can't really know yourself. And I think, so the one thing I would say is, get out and have experiences. When you get to college, <coughs> take, take opportunities to study abroad. Like, go anywhere. If you have a chance to travel, do it, you know? Even if it's just driving to Toronto, go go see what Canada's like, you know? Um, or, you know, go to Detroit even, go to, go to Philly, go to DC, go to New York. If you haven't been, how many of you have been to New York? Yeah. Okay. For those of you who haven't been to New York, please go to New York. So I went to New York for the first time in my entire life this past fall. Yeah, so I'm, I'm living proof of, like, do it while you're young and yeah. it's yeah. huge. Yeah, go. And it's cheaper to do stuff when you're young. When you get, like, to be an adult and you have obligations, you have to take off work and blah, blah, blah. Do it in high school, do it in college. If you have a chance to do any kind of, like, spring break uh, volunteer work in other communities, do that. And I, I would say volunteer. I think you're a better artist when you give of yourself. Part of being an artist is putting yourself out there, and volunteering is a lot like art in a way. It's when you are willing to kind of sweat and toil and 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 care for other people. It makes you a more sensitive person, and I think it makes you a better artist, frankly. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're gonna have to end it there. <laughs> uh, thank Lily for her time. Nice round of applause. Thank you very much. Thank you. And, uh, yeah. If you have if you have more questions, I'm I'm really happy to talk with you. Like email.